All right, uh, you may be seated, you may be seated. Last week you know that uh, we were dealing with John chapter 4, and I want to summarize and get up to uh, verse 39, and we'll pick up there and probably ask a question or two uh, on the way there. But if you remember, this chapter is where Jesus had this encounter with the woman at the well, which covers most of the chapter, and then there's a a miracle he performed uh, later on, and we're going to finish that up tonight. But if you remember that discussion last week, we talked about uh, that encounter that she had with Jesus, how it was a life-changing encounter, met her at the well, uh, unusual for a woman to be out of the well by herself, but, and for Jesus to be there by himself, but we considered that to be a divine appointment, you know, and after a long discussion with her, uh, they went from, you know, uh, him being a Jew and her being a Samaritan and, and uh, uh, the likelihood of a Jew to even talking to a Samaritan, got past all the, the, the things that we would consider some biases or prejudice there between the Samaritan and the Jews. And then he got into a deeper conversation with her, not about her visit to the well, but he was telling her that, hey, the water that you need is something that's going to sustain you for life. And, and, and she heard that, but when he talked about that, he was talking about something that he could offer that will offer her eternal salvation. But she heard it in the natural and thought he was, she was talking about, hey, if I get this water, I don't have to come back to this well again. But she was understanding it from a natural standpoint instead of a spiritual standpoint. And so from that, he shifted gears and, you know, and asked her about her husband. She answered the question that, you know, uh, her, her relationship and what status it was in. And once she answered, Jesus kind of told her, hey, you answered right. You know, you, 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 you've been married five times. And... And the, and, the, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. And then from that, you know, she kind of got a revelation that he was a prophet. So that changed the conversation when he made revelation, she got revelation that he was a prophet. Then that led to this other part where now she acknowledged him as being the, the son of God. And the disciples come back, see him talking to the lady. Then, you know, she runs off because now she's all excited with the good news that Someone told her all about herself. She'd have met this man that told me all about, told me all about myself. And that's kind of what we was leaving off at as she was coming back into the village to share the good news of the gospel. But there was a loose end that we kind of left out there. I think someone asked the question, Sister Robin made a comment uh, last week when uh, uh, Jesus kind of confronted the lady and said, you know, the, you know you've been married uh, X number of times and, and, and the man that you're living with now is uh, is not your husband. And so someone asked the question, and okay, I think Finley asked the question, you know, what, what was Jesus saying? Was he calling her out, or was it wrong for her to be living with the man, and, and, and she wasn't his, uh, he wasn't uh, her husband? So, and, and from that discussion, you know, uh, we, we decided that, hey, he said that she wasn't married to the man, so they weren't married, and if they was living together, that means they was living together in an unmarried state. And I think someone made the comment that, hey, well, now people are doing something called commitment ceremony. I think Sister Robin mentioned that about commitment ceremony, which we kind of stopped there, and I had never heard that before. So I had to go and look up what is this commitment ceremony. And so now there is things that people are doing when they don't want to... Uh, be considered legally married where they got to declare assets, get benefits from one another. It's an arrangement that we can have and, 
We, we are committed. It's almost like a wedding ceremony. They say some of the same things. They even exchange, exchange rings, but the state or the government don't recognize it as a legally binding marriage. So if something happened to that person, you can come now and come in and call the shots and say, this is what I want to do. You don't have that type of legal authority. But people are honoring that and as a means of, you know, I guess saying, hey, I love this person, but I don't necessarily want to go through all the legal stuff, and we're going to have this commitment ceremony. And I didn't even know that was existing, but all you got to do is ask Siri. She'll tell you everything and tell you where it comes from and all that. So when Siri starts spinning out, it gives you how to do it, when you can do it, and clergy can do it if they want to, and uh, it can be just a private ceremony with family and friends, and y'all say vows to each other, and you are now considered committed. Now, I've been reading to try to find out what does that entail? You know, does that mean now that we can come and we can continue to uh, live together and do all the things that married people do that we consider from a traditional standpoint, a biblical standpoint, what married people do, but now because we are committed, you know, some people believe in that, hey, if we're committed to our heart, we really don't need the government to say we married. That's just a legal thing. So I just want to know, is that, is that something that any of you have heard about this? Is that something that y'all got friends that got commitment ceremonies going on or done committed to each other like that? Because I had never heard of that until she said that, but I had to go and do some research on it. Get, put your mic on, Fred, because more folks online to hear you. The yellow mic. Marcus, Jen, you got another mic? Okay. Okay, so so you're saying that then the the that if two people say they're committed to each other, engage, they exchange rings, if they don't do it in a courtroom setting or a setting where the government gives them a stamp of approval, they get a certificate from a person, or they went out to say Vegas and got a certificate, and these people gave them a certificate of commitment. They did it in front of their friends and they had family out there like they was getting married, but they didn't. They're just not legally binding. So in your eyes, because it's not legally binding, then it's not, God don't look at it as a legal connection. Okay, okay, I, I, can, I, can, I can understand where you come from there. Brother, brother uh, Mike, then uh, Herb, and then Major. Are you referring to uh, common law marriage? Or that, well, that may be a new way of saying common law. Right. But right now they I call it a commitment ceremony. Hold, hold your mic up. It's better. But there are some people who um, rec recognize God and accept him, but except they don't recognize what the society says or what the government. So in the eyes of God, if they come together genuinely with each other I, I, and, and they agree 
So I, I consider it being married together. I mean, it's just that they don't have a document as to the law. As to the law, but is it right in the sight of God? Are they living in fornication? No. If they agree and they're not, um, they, they are not binded with other people involved, except that two that come together. And they say, we put together and bind together. But wait, wait, let, let, let me finish, Fred. Okay, we're gonna come. Back. So, so let me make sure I understand Mike right. Mike is saying, hey, you know, Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, and you make a vow. If it's better to make a better not to make a vow than make a vow and break it. Right. So Mike is saying, okay, two people decide that, hey, man, we've been we've been seeing each other for five years, and and hey, we, we really love each other. So now let's go and write us some vows, and we're gonna see that. In God's eyes, we believe that these vows are binding, even though the government don't come and stamp a seal on it and make it binding. Right. In the eyes of the government and in the law, they may not be married because there is no document to prove if they have to go to the bank or anything of that nature. But in the eyes of God, what about places where people have no children? Nowhere to go. So in terms of civilization, uh, when there was, I mean, people was not in a way where they, they had nowhere to go to church and they was worshiping their God in their way. So you cannot say because people don't come in the church and have a document to prove that they are married, they come together and make that secret vow between God. I, I consider it marriage. Okay, I, I, that's an opinion. Okay, Fred, go ahead. But, 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 but didn't the Bible say, obey the law that man has placed over you? Isn't that a law that you go through the ceremony to get married? You know, every state is a little different, but for the most part, let's just say in America, most marriages, uh, if they're going to be considered legally, have to go through some type of certification, be a notary public sign off on it, be it a, a justice of the peace. Somebody have to sign off on a legal document that can be recorded down at the courthouse as a official marriage, and that is for legal meanings, meaning that if we got estate, we got an estate, or we got you know uh, 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 benefits like coming our jobs and stuff like that, and some happen to that person. The reason we legally do that is so that that person can now get their retirement check or whatever it is. But under this system of commitment, you can be committed to that person for 30 years, and then if something happened to them, that's it. I mean, you don't have no say. So uh, unless, you, unless, now I'm just thinking, in that commitment y'all have kids together, the kids probably going to have more say so than the person who is you know they were committed to because the kids gonna that's legally my child so therefore my child got a right to say certain things that's how I'm I, I don't know I'm just talking to make sense like that but going back to something you said Fred to try to support that argument too is that in the Bible when the civil government didn't get involved with it the priests and people like that like when Moses was sitting in that seat apparently Moses could marry people because the Bible said he could give them divorces now, whether he married them or not, it looked like they did have something that was legally binding. And, and Jesus said, the only reason you have a divorce system is because of the hardness of your heart. Moses gave in to you all, but God never intended for there to be a divorce. But that don't negate the fact that if God saw those vows as being binding, he don't see them being broken either. So, you know, I, I, let me tell you this. If someone came up to me because of the way I, my, I, I interpret God's word and where I'm at, if so, two people came to me and said, hey, pastor, I want to perform a commitment ceremony, I'll probably have a hard time doing it. I mean, just because the way I've been engineered and how I understand God's word, where I'm at, 
I'm not saying it would be wrong, but I, it would be hard for me to do that because I think, you know, like, I mean, I'm just thinking, okay, they're they, they just trying to legalize hooking up. And they don't need no vows to do that. But, but if, they, if they get married, if they're making these commitments beyond just the sexual side of we want to do this, this, and this, but we truly love each other, sickness and in health, to death do us apart. Then if someone honor that, give them that commitment and they decide to do that, yeah, I mean, I didn't think they existed until someone mentioned it last week. I had never heard of that. So, again, any other opinions? Any, do anybody know? I think Sister Robin said she knows somebody that had that ceremony performed. Yes, I'm going on what Ms. Robin knows because it was our use that she is, as you got this saying, that commitment law, she got married tomorrow. So she said, not married, but conditional marriage, looking at marriage. So I do know someone that was one of our use. Okay. And, and the point is, is that, And what I stand for and what the law was with God is it's, it can be given for what the nation is, but that's what we're seeing. And it goes to a point where it says the value is the value is what the people value, so so we make laws on what, what we value. So eventually to a point where as a nation as we are, if the people change their value. And, and, and you know, I'm, you know, I'm glad you, that's a good segue that you mentioned that because, again, it caught my interest and I kind of started reading a fine print all the way down, you know, every little thing I could find about it. And one of the things I did see is that couples who wanted to be committed to one another but certain states don't honor same-sex relationships, so it is something that they feel like, hey, we can do this and be recognized even though the state don't honor same-sex marriage or whatever that may be. That, kind of, that was kind of one of the, you know, smaller print things under that people do this so that they can get that level of commitment that is out one to another, even though they don't have a legal document from, from a particular state, you know. And so, 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 again, I don't know who created this. I don't know where it came from or what need it was trying to meet. In my mind, you know, if two people love each other, then in a traditional way, I would say, get married and get it stamped and approved and be through with it. But, but again, it, this is happening. Go ahead, brother. I, I, I wasn't referring to same-sex marriage. I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm not, I know. I'm just saying that once, once I read the whole article, all that was kind of tied up in there in the fine print. You know that. Here's some examples why people do these type things, and that was one of the. The, the, the example that they gave or the reason why some people go to these commitment ceremonies versus uh, going to a, a wedding, to a marriage and stuff like that officially. 
Any, any other the comments? Any other comments? Again, you know, I just try to stay as current as I can, but I didn't realize these. Yes, Sister Deborah. Yes. Well, my understanding um, when we talk about um, obeying the laws of the land and, and God's viewpoint is was when it's all consistent with His will and His word, not anything else that we, because as we indicated before, these the government these days, you know, you change this and that, you just everything pretty much is on board, you know, submissive. But when it has to line up with the word of God. Amen. 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 Anybody else, Mike, Brother no, Major? But don't we supposed to obey the laws of the land, though? You know what I mean? So, so okay, Pastor, so Second uh, Timothy 9 is legal. In some states, I guess. Is it legal all over? I don't know. I don't keep up with it like that. It's legal in Florida. Somebody said, hey, Pastor, the United States is answer no. Yeah, yeah, for me. <laughs> it would be. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't frown on them. I wouldn't say, hey, you can't. I'd just say I couldn't do it. And I think that's where the argument is, is at right now with the, the whole United States on that particular issue is because uh, the church, the majority of the church world is standing up against that because they want that separation of church and state. And so therefore, they're saying that now the worst case scenario would be that, okay, Pastor Bolden, since you won't honor and marry this couple that we've given a license to, just like we gave a life to your two church members, and these two people want to be married, and they just so happen to be the same sex, and you won't honor them, then right then they're going to probably tell me you can't marry nobody and sign the document legally. So what I would tell our members, just where I am right now today, I haven't evolved where I am today. If two people want me to do something like that, I wouldn't do it. And if the state said that, okay, well, you can't marry anybody, then I tell our members, y'all need to go see the Justice of the Peace, go down to the courthouse, you go down there and get legal, and then come back here and we'll have your ceremony. And I'll sign a certificate, da da da. But, if, but I can't sign that legal document now because if they change the laws to, to that effect. But right now, that's not the issue. But the, the church is fighting that battle hard because they see the curve is turning and it may turn to that. And a lot of countries have already done that. In France, they do that. They have separated the religious aspect from marriage and the civil aspect. So therefore, the religious aspect is you just come and have a religious ceremony centered around godly belief. And then the now governmental ceremony is something that the government stamps. So the church over there is out of the picture. People just come back to the church after they've already been married in some governmental system. So if the Bible says we should obey the laws of the land and then we don't do that, then we're disobeying the Bible. No, I, I think the laws of the land got to be consistent with the word of God. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. Yeah, the word got to got to be consistent. You, you know, the thing, you know, there was certain things that when Jesus, you know, he, he, he told them, you know, when it came to paying taxes, you know, he ain't got no problems. Whose name is on that? Caesar. So there's certain things you render under Caesar was here. But if, but if God, God, from our standpoint, God owned marriage. He ordained it. He created it. And so therefore, he has said how it ought to function. And so his rule until it changed, which I doubt, you got to follow. But now don't get me wrong. They're all pastors and all church leaders don't share my opinion. That's why there's a big struggle going on right now because there are churches that say, hey, 
we're going to honor that, and we're going to do that. Because if two people love each other, we don't care. As long as they confess that they love each other, don't matter to us, we're going to perform the ceremony. Pastor Bolton, that's not there yet. Yes, Pastor. Uh, the Bible states clearly that we are to obey the law of the land, but it also says it's better to obey God than man. Now, if somebody's taking you astray, away from the word of God, you, you understand for it. That's why some of you um, preachers before, uh, like Paul and the rest of them went to prison. Not that they violated the law of the land, but God says something else and they want to stand for the word of God. Why are they taking them to prison? If it means that a, a life minister says, I'm not going to marry the same spouse, first spouse, and then it means that they, they revoke in your life in whatever the case is, I'd rather they revoke my life. I'm not going to do it. Because I'm not going to stand against something that God says that you shouldn't be. I'm not going to compromise with the world. If it means it's going to cost you, let it cost you. And this is what we have to do. We have to stand somewhere. We cannot go for anything. If we don't go for everything, we have to stand for something. The rest of the churches are going for everything. You can't do it. Amen. Yeah, but we can't pick and choose. <laughs> I know. I agree with you. We can't, we can't pick and choose. We can't say, well, I'm going to do this. But the Bible says, don't do this, but I'm going to do this over here. We can't pick and choose. If you're gonna be, if, you, if you're gonna be that stern, then be that stern. Brother Herb, Amen. Just give a little bit of history about America. If you do a little bit of history, you can understand that most of the, the laws were did have biblical standards at the beginning. Yes, at the very beginning. If you look at it, if you look through your research, but America started. One time, yeah. One time. yeah. And, and, and as the culture changes, society changes, and people change, and, 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 and again, we're a nation of laws, and laws are made by people. So when people get in office, if they have a certain leaning or bend, and they can get their law passed, it will become the law of the land. Then that's where the church has to make a stand. If it's an issue that the church got, just like anybody else has to make a stand. And uh, right now, the church, you know, the, in the church arena, they understand the, the wave of the nation. They kind of understand, and they see that curve may, is coming, but they still feel like, the, the believe it or not, just like everybody else has lobbyists, big church organizations got lobbyists too. And they're up there lobbying to say, hey, we ain't ready for that yet. Don't y'all pass that. Don't do this. Keep that separation of church and state. Don't start getting into the church business. So churches as an organization got national organization that lobby for them to make sure that certain laws still line up with what the majority of the church world uh, believes. This kind of country that we live in. Okay. So, so as we saw that, you know, once Jesus had that conversation with the lady, she left the well running, you know, forgot her water. She came there for the water, but because of that encounter with Jesus, her life changed, and then now she forgot what she came for, left what she came for, and now she leaves with this message, and we left last, off last week where, you know, she had left Jesus, and Jesus was talking to the disciples, and again, they wondering, why are you talking to this woman? And then, you know, we got food for you, and he says to them, you know, I got food that you know not of. My, my food is that to do the, the will of the Father. 
to, to reach out and save souls. They thought he was talking about natural food. Did somebody bring you something to eat while we were gone? But he saw his assignment with that lady as nourishment to his spirit because I'm doing something that my father ordained, that my father's, that lines up with my father's will. And so now after that discussion with the disciples, he kind of, you know, lit in with them by talking about, you know, the harvest and looking out into the harvest and, and, and the harvest was plenty and he was saying one plant, another reaped and, and, and he talking down that line, it looked like he was both planting and now he was seeing this lady bringing the harvest back and that's what we're going to pick up at. But my question is, is that as, as believers now, how active are we at, are we when it comes to reaching out into the harvest? Because the word of God has been planted into a lot of people's hearts. And, you know, the Bible talks about one plant, another water, but God gives increase. But it's up to us to go out into the field to harvest those seeds that, that's been coming up and now they are ripe. What does that look like to you as a Christian when you think about that? When Jesus said, hey, my assignment is to seek and to save that which was lost. And so therefore, my, that my mission, and he told his disciples to go out and make disciples of other nations, baptizing da 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 Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, you know, giving them that commission. How do you see that commission today playing out? How do we do that? How do we go out into the harvest field and harvest what is ripe and ready to be be processed to be reaped. Anybody want to answer that, Brother Mike? And it, your answer is your answer. I'm not looking for a textbook answer. I'm just talking about you. If you are that person and you feel like, man, that person is ripe. They're ready. They are. They. They. Something I see that let me know that they may be ready for that next step, or that somebody has already been warning them. What does that look like to you? How would you go about trying to do that? Brother Mike, and then anybody else that want to answer? Yes, I, I stand uh, to answer the question because when God calls me, it belongs time to us. He called me to the harvest. And what I was doing was evangelism. I took a little interesting journey. I came from a book on the field. I said, we set people in um, groups and go out in fields, preaching everywhere and reaches. And that's what I was doing, and that has always been on my heart, evangelism. And I've said that to many people in this church also. So when he says go, you don't have to be a minister, preacher, or pastor to talk to someone. Because it's almost like I said it the other day, that if you're a fireman and you see a house on fire and you walk away and say, that's not my business, what kind of fireman are you? If you're saved and you have received Jesus Christ as your personal savior, and you're passing every day by your neighbors and people will see that you don't know Jesus Christ, and you say nothing to them, then what kind of saved person are you? So this is our business tell the world. You don't, you don't have to be educated or you don't have to be a preacher or like any person. You see something, go and tell. Just ask them. The easy way of getting to someone is not jump in and tell them they need to go to church. Jesus, by the woman of the well, she was drawing water. So the first thing Jesus did, can I get a drink of water? You see somebody gardening, you ask them about the garden and then the conversation starts. You start a conversation. That's what Jesus did, by the way. Can you give me a drink? And she said, why do you ask for a drink? We have no dealings with you, as Samaria. And Jesus, the conversation started. So as a, as a personal child of God, you start easy with the person. Easily, you don't throw a religion in their throat, and you tell them the simple thing like you know about all things in Christ. And I think it is important that we need to do that. Um, you don't have to, uh, in, uh, after you do that, you receive Christ, you can 
tell them about the church, you invite them to church, or you take care of their business. That's what I do. Okay, good. Yes, ma'am. I c- you got a mic back there? Okay. Okay, Keisha, then. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about this earlier at work. Nobody's outside. Like, a lot of the ways that maybe in the past that may have had opportunities to minister, even like groceries, people get them delivered to their doors. When you think about all of the ways that keep people inside post-COVID, I feel like that it doesn't lend to us actually fellowshipping with each other. And then we do, even like coming to church, it took us a while for people to even start coming back to church to be able to fellowship with each other or to invite people to come out. And I know for me personally, when I invite somebody to come to church, it's like, do y'all have an online service? You know, and so it's one of those things that we have to start thinking about, especially with this younger generation, how are we gonna reach them where they are instead of trying to get them to conform to something that was familiar to us? Because when you asked that question, the first thing I thought about was, what opportunities do we have with social media? What opportunities do we have with the outlets that supply them right now? Because that's where they are. And to try to force them into another, and what we're familiar with, we may not be able to do that. And for perpetuity, we need to be bringing younger people into the church. And a lot of them are not at the grocery store. They get their groceries delivered. A lot of them are, are not coming to church because they can go online and do it. And a lot of them are, I mean, it's, it's crazy. We, the reason why we were talking about earlier is because how kids are getting less and less whooping because you don't be outside. <laughs> we used to get whooped because we was outside someplace we wasn't supposed to be or whatever. And it was funny the way we talked about it, but we have somebody at our job who has two little kids, and he was like, yeah, because, you know, outside of them fighting each other, you know, and pulling that apart. But more importantly, I think we just need to think about different ways to reach people based on, and, and to be very serious about it, I mean, the fact that mm, more and more younger adults are having issues with anxiety, with mental health, because of the lack of fellowship. And then how, where we grew up and we knew how to do that, and we tell them, hey, you should be more of this, and you should be more of that. Well, we had those experiences to do that. They don't even have it. They don't even have those experiences. They're getting homeschooled. They're doing, I mean, you know what I'm saying, or learning online, and they're not really getting that. So how do we really do it based on the way the world is today? Okay, good point, good comment. Yes, ma'am. Yes, um, my, I would say my opinion, but the word of God said that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just because the culture change, God don't change. And the simple fact of, um, like I heard Brother Major saying, um, um, we must obey the law of the land. It will come a day that the church got to stand up for the word of God. And, and, and we have seen throughout the Bible where people lost their lives standing up for the word of God. That long, the, the, what the law said, I mean, that, that mean they came against the law and they were um, crucified, executed, um, all kind of things happened to the children of God. And, we, and, and the Bible is still the, the Bible, regardless of what culture we're in. And, and me, as a Christian, um, it's not about me, first of all, how I reach the lost. It's the Holy Spirit that lives in me, will guide me and direct me on what to say and when to say and when to be quiet. And because it's the Lord that's reaching people, not, not we, we just vessels. But if we yield to him, he can reach anyone. The Lord allowed me to speak with a Muslim who I didn't even know was a Muslim until we were talking. And I was witnessing to a Muslim and I began to pull back because
because he told me he was a Muslim. But I felt the Holy Spirit rise up in me. And at the end, this Muslim prayed with me and said that it was an honor to speak with a Christian who wasn't um, debating the word of God with him. He was once a Christian. So if, if we really get a grasp of what the word of God is saying and, and walk in it, and first honor God and rely on God to lead us, we can reach anyone, anyone. And, and I just want to give one, one example of that. I was at work and I, and I spoke with Sister Nina about it one time. I was at work and a young lady came in with a bad attitude, didn't want to take medications, didn't want to turn anyone, and I was upset. She told me what she wasn't going to do. I'm the supervisor, so I wanted her fired. And the Lord told me, no, I need you to pray with her. I said, how am I going to pray with someone who just disrespected me in front of the other staff? And not only that, the Lord told me to pray with her. At, I said, what, what will I pray? The Lord gave me the words to say. And not only that, the Lord told me to bless her. And this right now, this young lady right now is a sold-out Christian. I mean, when she walked in that building, in, in, in the facility, you know she's a Christian. But she was hurt the reason she was acting like that. So when we get all caught up on ourselves and how we gonna reach somebody else and we not relying on the Lord to show us, we gonna miss it every time. Amen. That's my opinion. Amen, good but point. Good. Amen, thank you for your comments. Okay, anybody else before we move on? Anybody else? Okay, I think that kind of got us about caught up to where I wanna pick up at tonight in verse 39. You know, the woman done had this experience, Jesus done talked to his disciples. Now, uh, verse 39 says, Many, not all, but many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. Now, basically all she did was go and tell her testimony, what happened to her, something that she could give a first-hand account of. She didn't have to say, I heard somebody said this. No, I had this encounter. And I think the genuineness of your testimony is dependent upon how much you're willing to share of how he changed your life. Because your change can help someone else make a change, but I think a lot of times when we try to minister to people and witness to them, we often start where we are and not where we were. And so most people are not gonna relate to, especially if they are out there still in the world, they're not going to relate too close to you if you start with how holy you are now, what you done gave up now. Your testimony got to be what got you to that point and how that encounter that you had with him changed your life that now you're willing to run and tell somebody else. The woman told her business. Okay, this dude told me all about myself. Now, some of them folks probably already knew she had five husbands, so I don't think that was no new revelation. I think the revelation was that this stranger knew some of the same thing that many of them already knew. And her first-hand account was enough to get some of those people saved or to start them to believe in. So, so and, and again, I keep saying this, and I know we don't have time to go through it, but man, you got to have an authentic testimony. You got to have something that you can reach back and say, I know when, I, when the Lord really changed my, I ain't talking about when you start going to church. A lot of times we can go to church for years, but then it's something that can happen on that journey that you know, hey, that was a turning point. That's when church became more than just a social gathering. It was about now my life is changing, and I want people to understand the nature of this change that is taking place in me. 
And, and when we can get to that level to share that with people, I think that is a lot better testimony than starting where you are now and beating with Scripture. Because most of them know what not to do. They done heard that from their parents. They done heard that from a lot of other people. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. They already, most of them know that. But they want to know how did you get transformed? How did you get changed? What took place in your life? And the beauty of that, you don't need to be a seminary student to do that. You all got a testimony. You all got a story. And that story can get other people to come into the body of Christ. Amen? Now look at that. He says, so he told me everything I ever did. Now, you know, she said everything. I don't know what the Bible really means to say that. You know, God. Now, look, forget about the lady for a moment. We're in Bible study, so let's forget about her. Just think about you. Just close your eyes for a moment. And believe that you done met Jesus. And he told you everything you ever did. What started coming through your mind you done did? He said everything. Not some of the things you did, but man, some of us got some stuff in this up here you know, we did. You want to wake up real quick. Wake up. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, run from Jesus. Yeah. But, but the lady said he told me everything. And I don't think, I don't care how saved you are, I don't think most of y'all, none of us bold enough to tell folk ever. <laughs> it takes a unique Christian to tell someone everything you ever did. Amen. Y'all ain't got, y'all ain't, come on now. Come on. If, 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 if I got somebody bold enough, man, we'll stop Bible study right now and give you the mic. Just tell us everything. <laughs> just keep on going, Major. It ain't happening. Ain't, no, ain't nobody that filled with the ghost, huh? <laughs> they, they that filled with it. Okay, okay, I got it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure somebody may want to be tell. No, enough time for anybody to tell everything. Okay. <laughs> some got some, we got some long stories out there. But I thought that was interesting. He said, you know, he, he told me everything I ever did. And look at this. In verse 4 it says, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two days, long enough for many more. So many believed her, but the many more didn't come, but they had to hear for themselves. Sometimes you're going to minister to people, and they ain't going to change or come because you minister to them. It may be somebody else that come along later, say almost the same thing that you said, and all of a sudden, that person all of a sudden get this revelation, their heart changed, and now they want to make that change. No different than when, when ministers minister and preach. You can say, man, I done preached that sermon, and I heard somebody else preach it, and everybody said, boy, that's a great sermon. That was a great sermon. And you're thinking, man, we done, we done preached that five months ago. Same thing. But people don't get it. Different people get different things at different times, and they get it from different people. All of us can be a testimony and carry out our witness to, to, to people in an authentic way based upon how we receive Jesus and how we're, much we're willing to say about that everything. Because until you can talk a little bit about that everything, nobody's going to believe you don't change. Because it can make it look like that you've been where you are all your life. But all of us got an everything closet that's full of a lot of stuff. Amen. And the beauty of this, now I, I know I'm not talking about your deep, dark secret that don't nobody know but you and the Lord. Because some 
that's going to take certain things to the grave. You know, you, you may, you know, once you're married, get married, share everything. But even a lot of married folks don't share everything. Because they, I think someone said last week, your partner may not be able to handle everything. So, so you got to know how to dish everything out. Or you may not be able to handle it. I mean, like Major said last week, I don't think I can handle everything. But, but there got to come a time when you're trying to minister to other people where you can share some of your testimony, what God did for you, how did he change you, what things have impacted your life based upon your relationship with him. Because that's how we win people. People go back and tell what the Lord has done for them. And it's not something that I heard from someone else. I'm talking about a personal experience that I had. You know, I tell people all the time, there's a couple of things that, that always come back to me when I talk about I, when I saw God making moves in my life. I've never been an emotional guy when it comes to church and stuff like that, but I, I never forget one day in 1989, Ramstein, Germany, I think I was on about the third row of the pew, and, and uh, the choir, Sister Cynthia Marshall, I'll never forget it, just all of a sudden started singing Walter Hawkins' song by Tremaine, Change. A wonderful change has come over me. And I had heard that song tons of times, like that. But something about that day, we had just had an event the night before, you know, a good time in the Lord. And when she sung it that day, man, man, I almost tore up row two, three, whatever I was on. And I ain't never did that in church before. I ain't never got that caught up, you know, because I ain't that guy. I ain't been to run. I ain't been to do all that. But on that day, and I remember that day like it was yesterday. I mean, I, I said, okay, something changed in my life. I went to another level. My initial change I always use is Candace's testimony. You know, when I was counted halfway in the church, halfway in the world, she was about six months old, diagnosed with meningitis and all that. And, you know, the doctors were giving us a gloomy report, and, you know, I didn't know what to do because I wasn't praying and all that. But the lady across the street from me came over one day and said, hey, you ought to read this scripture, and I just want you to pray. Okay, we start praying. You need to go on a fast, okay? Well, I ain't never fasted, you know, you know me, I ain't, man, I ain't fasted. What? And that was the first time I ever fasted for seven days. I went seven days without eating anything. And then uh, after that lady gave me that scripture, and I shared with you all, I went to the hospital that day. The minister at the church that we was going to, he had been to the hospital, and Jeanette was at the hospital at the time. And so when she was out, some of her friends saw her and didn't even know the Kansas was sick. And they kind of, you know, jumped at the, at the BX. Hey, who you think you are? You kind of just walking by us? You act like you don't know us, you know? And, you know, she was really upset by it because her mind was in la-la land. I got a baby over there. The doctor said the next 10 days is going to determine whether she live or die. And you getting upset because I didn't, you know, speak to you? And so when she went back to the hospital, the minister was there. And he just asked her, how your day been going? And she explained it to him. And he said, you know, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Didn't mean nothing to her at that time. Three or four hours later, I come to the hospital. Hey, what's going on today? Da 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 da. And I said, Well, what happened? She said, Well, Reverend Dickey was by. I said, Okay, what did he say? Uh, he left me the scripture after the incident I had over in the BX. And I said, What was it? Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I said, Well, when I was at home today, and Laura came over and told me I need to fast. She told me the same scripture. Right there, 
hey, it was over for me right then, because I know it's too many scriptures in the Bible for them two people to come up with the same one. So I told you now, hey, Candace's going to be all right. She's going to be all right. She's going to live. I don't care what the doctors say. She's going to live. And I never forget, they were trying to find a vein. I didn't even know you find veins in your wrist right here. You know, and the doctors had to come in that precision to try to get the antibiotics, whatever you do when you got meningitis, because the arms and the temple veins were already flat. They couldn't get nothing there. And they had to go right there to the wrist. And when we got there, the other doctors had been trying, couldn't get it. But after I got to the hospital and stood there, that next dude came and I hit it the first time. So I said, that's God right there. Because this too much didn't happen the same day and it, with people that had no connection with each other. And so that was just a revelation for me. And so what I'm trying to tell you, you got to have something where you feel like God has really ministered to you in a way that there's no doubt in your mind that the Lord done showed you something, that the Lord done said something, that you can then now tell that thing anytime. And that was 40-some years ago. I think, Ken, I don't want to say I owe you, but that was 40-some years ago. And I still remember that like it was yesterday. Because that was a life-changing event for me. Because I wasn't a Bible student at the time, but after she did that, man, that lady came over. Then now I started reading this Bible and started getting serious and not just going to church to be going to church. Now I was going to church to make a difference in the church. So, so everybody, you got to have a testimony. You got to have something where you can relate to people and people can identify when you're, you feel like your confidence and your faith in God went to another level where you can talk openly about it and, and be authentic because can't nobody tell it but you. Yes, ma'am. Get, get another mic if you got one. Got a mic. Yes, sir. Commenting on what you just said about the, um, um, the the young lady that the Lord allowed me to speak with at work um, that had a bad attitude. She actually, as I was praying with her, and and just so to tell you what you're saying is, is true. We've got to depend on the Lord to, to lead us. As I was praying with her, and and this, I've I've been a Christian for 34 years, and. And, and I heard the Lord tell me certain things about this young lady. And as I was praying, she didn't tell me. Um, as I was praying out loud, she heard me say these things. And she began to break down and cry. And she said, oh, my God, only God could have told me that about me. And it's true. And she began to just break down. And then when I told her that I was giving her the money the Lord told me to give her, this young lady was homeless. She was in her car. She needed money. She didn't have any gas. So all of this was a factor and the reason why she was behaving like she was behaving. And if I hadn't have been listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I could have missed ministering to her and, and not just bringing a follower. I mean, I'm, God called us to bring in disciples, somebody who can make a difference. Um, and, and that's what he wanted to do, not... I mean, because we can easily tell somebody the goodness of God. And because it's common, that's the American thing to do. Amen. When you're led by the Lord to tell them the goodness of the Lord, and the Lord make a change in their heart and their lives, that, that's where the discipleship come in. At. And so that, um, that changed my life. And this was uh, about two years ago. Amen. And it, and it allowed me to be more in tune and, and made me want to be more in the presence of God so that I can hear him more to to be directed in, in that way. Amen, amen. So look at this. When you get look at uh, 
verse 42, he says, you know, you know, it says, uh, Jesus stayed two days, 41 said, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, you know, I don't even know why they had to say this to the woman. Ladies, y'all ought to be upset about that, because I guess even to this day, we just don't believe y'all. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because what you told us, but because we have heard him for our well, as long as you got it. I was the first. I, I just watered you, and then now Jesus come, and he get the increase. But you will hope that, man, some people will believe the testimony of a believer, whether it's a male or a female. You know, and I know in the church world we got, you know, debates and arguments whether or not a woman can do this, a woman can do that. Can she stand up and teach? Can she do all that? But man, when it comes to evangelizing and, and witnessing and telling people about the Lord, you know, if a woman want to stand up and do that, whether she's standing up here or there, she want to tell her testimony or share, and it's going to bring some people to the Lord, you know, I think God can use whoever he wants when it comes to that. You know, but I know, you know, that is not a widespread when it comes to the ministering part, and I know there's a debate there, but, uh, but I think that a lot of times uh, we can't allow the vessel to keep us from allowing God's message to get out, you know, because it's so important that the word get out there, and God can use whom, whomever he choose, okay? So, and look at this, it says, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that indeed he is the savior of the world. And big point there is that these Samaritans acknowledged Jesus as being the savior of the world long before many of the Jews did. So he, by him going through Samaria, it served a, a huge purpose. Instead of going around Samaria like most of the Jews would have done, he went through Samaria. So now in verse 43, the scene changed, and Jesus now after two days leaves. Now look at what we're going to see here, and I'm going to read this kind of quick because I want to turn this over to Adrian and, and, and Keisha. He says, at the end of two days, Jesus went to Galilee. You know, and Galilee was an area that was familiar to him because it was in the same part of, the, of, of Nazareth, was not far from Galilee. So it was like home turf for him, and people had knew, knew him there. And he said, and he said to, and he himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. And he was saying there, the very people that I'm around the most don't recognize who I am in my own hometown. They're not receiving the message. I can go other places and be received, but here in my own hometown. You know, sometimes the hardest people you got to convince that you saved live right there with you. Amen. I mean, special days, I mean, that's your hardest sales sometimes going to be the people that's closest to you. And, 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 and sometimes, like they say in, 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 the, in the secular world, you know, in business, familiarity. Sometimes when people get too familiar with you, it's hard for them to believe some of the things you say because of their familiarity. And sometimes they say familiarity can breed contempt, you know. But, but we have to still share that message with the people that's even close to us, okay? He says this in uh, verse 45. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, 
and had seen everything he did. Well, you remember early on in John, the first miracle had been performed, and a lot of these people had heard about what Jesus had did at the wedding in Cana, and they heard about the things he was doing in Jerusalem, and, and the news of what he had been doing had started to travel. But the thing that was traveling most is what he was doing in the aspect of miracles, not so much as teachings. And so we're going to see here, it looks like he got a little frustrated because people wanted to come to him only because he was performing miracles and not to receive the truth of the God's word. There are a lot of people today who are chasing something instead of just chasing him. You know, I can believe it if I can see a miracle, then I may believe him. Well, we're going to have to believe him without seeing some things. You know, and, and he said, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. But it is easier for people to believe something they have seen and they've heard somebody talk about this miracle, so therefore now I can jump on that bandwagon. Well, many of us may not see what may be classified as a legitimate miracle, but we see things happen around us all the time that could be miraculous acts. You know, and who do we attribute it to? Like, for instance, just little things. Uh, when that door blew off that airplane, and that, the kid was sitting there, and they were talking about the likelihood that he should have been sucked right out of that airplane right there. To me, you know, if that was my child, in my mind, that's a miracle. <laughs> that you're still here, and that you didn't go flying out of here, when there are people who weren't even sitting on your road, got a, worse effects than you did. To me, that, that, I look at that, that just don't normally happen that way. And so a lot of times we got to look at where we see God moving in situations that we may think that, oh, that's just a coincidence. No, maybe that's God doing something. You know, maybe that's God trying to reveal to us that he's still at work in the earth, but we are looking for the wrong thing and looking in the wrong places for how he's moving in people's lives. But a miracle, you know, that's why people are quick to go to, 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 to ceremonies where people profess to be working miracles. You got a miracle work sometimes, but want to know, can I see somebody's leg grow or so can I see say, whatever it is. And nothing wrong with that, but what I'm trying to say, the miracle is always in the hand of God, not the, not the prophet or the person that he's using. God is the miracle worker. And so therefore, we believe for miracles and believe in miracles, even if we have never seen one. Because we don't perform, we don't make it happen, God makes it happen. We're just vessels that he used when we pray for people and things come out the way we prayed for them, okay? So as he traveled to Galilee, he came to Cana where he had turned the water into wine. This is verse 46. There was a government official nearby in Capernaum whose son was very sick. Look at this. When he heard Jesus had come to Judea, Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who, had, who was about to die. Now look at it, man, this guy begging, but Jesus sometimes can be really, you know, I don't know what you call it when you come at it like this. Jesus asked, will you ever believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Man, this guy, you know, man, I'm coming, I'm coming to, I need, I need you right now. You could just say, hey, I'm gonna come to the house with you. But maybe he wasn't talking to just that guy. He may have been talking to everybody else around who'd been following him just for one reason. I want to see a miracle. And so he came back like that to these people to let them know, hey, I understand you like the miracles that I'm doing. You like the sign and the wonders, wonders, but look, 
the what I'm teaching you and what I'm trying to get you to see about who I am and what I came to do is more important than you see me do, work a miraculous act. He was concerned that they were not picking up on the things that he was presenting to them. He says, then the, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. Spoke some things, and by him speaking it, certain things happened. He says, and the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Faith requires action, and you have to believe some things before you see him. Now, he hadn't got home. He just trusted Jesus would tell him the truth, and he started heading home because he believed what Jesus had said. You have to believe some things in this Bible that you may not fully understand. But if you accept this as God's word, then you're going to have to believe it and trust God when it comes to the truth and the power of his word. Because everything that, 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 that you need, something's going to come because you have the faith for it. And if you can see it, touch it, and smell it and all that, you don't really need faith for it. Y'all hear me say this all the time. Man, if you got a car out there in the parking lot, you don't need to waste your faith trying to get a car. You can get a car. Sinners get cars every day. Bad credit at all. I mean, you know, faith is the substance of things. Hope for the evidence of things not seen. You really need to keep all your faith focused on heaven. And keep living like you believe heaven is real, even though you have not seen it. You don't seen cars. Get a job, decent pay statement, take it down to the lot, you'll get a car. Somebody come and sign for you and help you. So what we got to start doing is man stepping out in faith on things that we have not seen. That's something God wants you to do, but you're waiting to see it before you do it. And if you got to see it, you don't need faith for it. Faith is trusting him for the things you don't see. And sometimes when you do that, once you make one step in faith, then he will show you the next step. And I like, I think Martin Luther King, someone said, talking about faith is like a staircase where you can't see the top because of the fog or the haze or whatever it is, but you see one step at a time. And if you keep stepping, you will eventually get to the top. But if you stand down at the bottom, look and say, well, I'm not going to step until I can see the top, then you're never going to get there. And there are some people out there, some of you got friends, some of you, that God has showed you some things and you wait for him to show you something else and he doesn't show you enough to get started. So that's why this man went home believing in what Jesus said when he said, go back home. He said, now look at this. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. Went back to that moment, hey, God, that's the same time. That ain't no coincidence. That's the same time 
He told me that, and you telling me, I wasn't even here, and you telling me that the boy started getting better at that same time. I'm pretty sure that guy's faith went up even higher now. Even higher. And look at this. When faith gets to a high level, he said this, and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. You're going to see this trend play out throughout the Bible, is that when a person gets saved uh, uh, in any kind of way of significance, their whole household come around. And so we have the same charge today. Man, if you're here and you got children, they're not saved, you, you need to be on your job. Amen. You know, <laughs> evangelism started home before you hit the street. Amen. And if their children don't want to accept it, at least you would have presented it to them. But don't leave your children and people that you live with without knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you running out here trying to save the world, and you ain't even started at your own. He said, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming to Judea. Again, Jesus' ministry was still fairly young, and as we continue to read through the book of John, we're going to see more and more of what Jesus did because John's ministry is all about Jesus and the spiritual things that he did more so than some of the, the other gospels. Okay? Are there any questions? Any questions before I turn?